Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 12th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. It is unusual for the Shannons to sit on a Monday, but a special sitting will be held today. The government hopes that the Upper House can pass the termination during pregnancy bill before Christmas, making it possible to provide abortion services to women in January. Late-term abortions are to take place in maternity hospitals, and today the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, and the HSE will meet the masters of the maternity hospitals and the Institute of Obstetrics and gynaecologists to hear concerns about a lack of guidelines before the 1st of January. The Irish College of General Practitioners will also attend the meeting to highlight concerns that GPs have. We're joined this morning to talk about this by Independent TD for Louth, Peter Fitzpatrick, who's come into us. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed. Um, this passed through the doll against your wishes last Thursday. But let's take a, a look at the, the debate that will take place in the Shannon today. It's possible that this won't pass, in fact, before Christmas, whatever about the concerns the medics have, because uh, there's some 60 amendments to debate before it it completes its passage through the Oireachtas. Michael, on the 25th of May, the people of Ireland voted to remove the 8th Amendment. And Michael, I accept the referendum. Uh, We spent 15 hours there last week debating the 8th Amendment. And And in fairness, Michael, I felt as though the whole thing was completely and utterly rushed. I personally don't think the Minister and the Department of Health are, are ready f- to introduce abortions. As, as I said here, uh, I accept the people's vote. Uh, two-thirds of the people of Ireland voted uh, yes in the referendum and over 700,000 people voted no. Uh, the bottom line, Michael, is the only person that's going to lose out here is the unborn child. Uh, I, like I said here, uh, when I was a member of the, uh, the Eight Amendment Committee, I think I got a fair hearing. I think last week, as an as, 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 as independent TD, I think I got a fair hearing. Mm. You I, spoke you know, a lot. We were like, just talking before we put the microphones yeah. live this morning, and you did get a, a lot of speaking time in the doll last yeah. week, and a, a great opportunity to make your point. But you were very much in a minority. Nine TDs voted against the legislation. 
the, the, the biggest disappointment last week was, uh, I think, was Minister Harris. Uh, I've asked him a lot of questions. Uh, all he kept doing was nodding his head. So I presumed when I was finished my presentation that I might get an answer. He gave absolutely no answers there last week. And, and in fairness, over 640 doctors are not happy. Those midwives, those, those nurses, those pharmacists, there's an awful lot of people not happy. Even uh, uh, Rona Omani, Rona Omani and also uh, Peter Boylan, these, these are people who have been advising the minister going forward there's nobody ready, and and in fairness, like well, Peter Boland said, uh, it's probably not going to be a perfect start to it, but we have to go ahead. Uh, and he also said uh, that the legislation under the during life during pregnancy bill uh, will make sure that it is safe for women uh, who undergo late term abortions because they're already taking place. There's guidelines for those abortions. We're talking about healthcare for women. We're talking to try to try to, trying to protect the unborn. Like there's there's no way by the fourth of January that any like if you well it's a, a question of healthcare for women now yeah. isn't it I mean the 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 debate over protecting the unborn as you put it is over is it not I agree with you Michael but uh, when a woman goes in to have an abortion in the hospital in fairness there is two patients and like it's 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 the mother and the unborn child and like like when this woman goes into goes into the hospital it's very important that she has all the facts mm. I've asked the minister. For, this has gone on over five years. Even uh, when I was a member of the Health Committee and the member of the Year Amendment Committee, I've asked the Minister week after week after week about facilities. And honestly, and, and I can never get a chance. Even about the finance situation, I've never got an answer. But there's women listening to us this morning waiting for the law to change. Women who are pregnant, who want to terminate that pregnancy and don't want to travel and are hoping that they'll be able to have their abortion in the new year. Are you suggesting they be denied that? No, Michael. As I said to you, Michael, on the 25th of the people of Ireland mm. voted and I agree with it I accept that abortion is going to become legal in Ireland I accept from that. the 1st of January from the first, I, do, I do agree and that but I think we have to be very very careful mm. that when a woman goes into one of our hospitals one of our 19 hospitals in the country that when she goes in that, she, that, she's, that she's informed all the information she needs she knows exactly what's happened in, in, in the hospital and, after, and in fairness after the abortion but that's not the problem that the medics have uh, I mean uh, the suggestion you're making there has been described by other TDs as offensive. No, well, listen, I'm just trying to be straight here at mm. the moment. Like, it's not easy coming in here and being in, being in the minority. Like, in fairness, as I said, I, I accepted that there. But the bottom line is that as of from the 1st of January, I don't think women are going to be safe going in the hospitals and having an abortion. And the simple reason is... Why not? I mean, that's be- because, a very because the, the minister The minister is all over the shop. And like, like mm. the day during the week, all you want to do is rush, 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 rush. And even today, the Shannon, like as you say, over sixty amendments. Like it took us over fifteen hours there last mm. week to to, to 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 go through sixty-five amendments. And in fairness, like, and the only reason we got finished there last week was that every time uh, the minister got up to speak, he said absolutely nothing. Well, he was one of uh, the people uh, who thought the clock is ticking down on this, and extra time was made uh, available to the politicians to debate it an eight-hour session uh, last Thursday, wasn't it? Uh, And, you know, uh, I mean, you've got to call a halt to these things. And I think the fear now going into the Shannon is that the same type of filibustering will take place. I said from day one, when I became a TD, the most important thing in anybody's life is their head. And and that's what it should be. I do accept abortion is going to be legal as of on the 1st of January, and I accept that. But I, but I Did don't you not try to block it? Uh, I mean, is that not what you were trying to do? I mean, all of the time that you spent speaking in the doll, uh, was that not in order to slow down the passage of this legislation? Well, Michael, 
I did. I was probably one of the most uh, participants in in last mm. week. Now the procedure last week was you got a seven minute introduction and then you can come back in for two minutes. I've never in took the seven minutes. What I tried to do was I tried to give the facts and figures and I tried to get every play from the mm. minister. The Taoiseach I, said you and others were filibustering. Well, I think that I think I think the Taoiseach was all over the place himself because he made allegations in the door last Thursday against some of the TDs. And in fairness, he hadn't the balls to come out to come out and apologise because it, it was just it, 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 like, he was coming in the night himself just for the votes. Like I'm, like I do agree that the, the Taoiseach is a very bu- busy individual and, and maybe maybe he was looking at his manners and everything else. But I felt as though like s- sitting there and 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 participating in the whole debate for fifteen hours and and, for, and every time you look at the at the Minister of Health, all he was doing was nodding his head. Like th- these are women that's gone in to get an abortion in the first of January. Mm. And in fairness, like as I said here, we have GPs, we have we have uh, nurses, do- doctors, uh, even pharmacists. There's a lot of there's a lot of work still to be done. And if you look at he, he, he's, and he made a comment to me which I thought was very sneering. He was talking to me that uh, oh uh, I have money and I want to spend the money. So I asked him a simple question. If you're going to spend the money, why don't you spend it now? Mm. Why, do, why, why don't you give uh, ultrasound um, uh, machines to all the hospitals in the area? Like, ultrasound it, it, it does an awful lot of good things for people. And, and in fairness, he nodded his head. So next thing I was waiting for the answer, and he said absolutely nothing again. Like, what he, all he wanted to do over the last week was, was to get it over and But you, you wanted women who wanted to terminate their pregnancy to undergo an ultrasound. Michael, all that's of, emotional blackmail. No, Michael, there was an option there for the for the woman. In fairness, the minister has but that Peter, options there anyway. She's a pregnant woman. The minister has Peter Boylan running the whole show at the moment. Is Peter Boylan made a statement in the in, in the health committee that thirty percent of women in Scotland mm. needed an ultrasound for the simple reason was to get their dates right. And he maintains that this is going to be happening. It either be the same or it could be bigger. Like if he, if if if, mm. if 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 the if the teacher, sorry, if the minister's main man is saying this here, but I'll just say, like, is, is he listening to anybody? As far as I'm and Peter Boylan, the former master of the yeah, National yeah. Maternity Hospital, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like mm. Peter Boylan is, is the man that that's that's given the, the minister all this advice. He he's the person going around the country at the moment, uh, uh, looking for abortion clinics. I wonder is 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 he is he the person at the moment that's that's, that's in Drada that's trying to change the name of the hospital like like we have a hospital in Drada there at the moment doing a fantastic job at the moment mm. and I all of a sudden they want to change the name mm. like the, the the amount of people in the, in the local community here that contacted me like people that voted yes and people that voted no was like our Lady of Lewis Hospital is is is, is a community has served people like the amount of children has been born and mm. in fairness it's one of the best and one of the safest hospitals in the country why uh, why all no, of a because sudden, it's got nothing to do with the nuns and we We'll talk about that uh, again later in the programme uh, today. But if we stick with the abortion laws uh, and if they uh, pass through the Senate and the doctors accept that it's safe to do it, uh, will some of the professionals uh, implement the legislation? Will they carry out the abortions or, or will they follow the advice of uh, Bishop Kevin Doran? Michael, if you were a GP and he didn't want to to, to, to perform abortions, mm. and there were 640 of his, wouldn't you think the minister would at least meet up with his? Because he's met everybody else. But they have a conscientious objection. Yes, but he's met... They ev- don't have to carry them out. No, but I'm saying, he's, Michael, the, the law doesn't define that. Um, the, the, the problem is, uh, they'll, they'll have to facilitate the person coming in. And, like, like to be honest with you, 
Like, I'm stressed out. Well, they'll have to refer them, yes. Yeah, mm. I, Michael, mm. I'm stressed out. I spent mm. 15 hours last week there at the moment, and I mean, it, it, it was tough. And you can you can imagine someone like a doctor or a nurse or a midwife or a, a pharmacist mm. out there. Like, you do, like, your conscience do play a big stage in you. Well, and the, the last should thing was, those doctors that you're speaking about be listening to Bishop Kevin Doran? No, Michael, sorry. He, he, he said that he wants the medics to resist the abortion regime, and that the professionals should, should stick together against it. As far as I'm concerned is, a doctor becomes a doctor because he wants to, he wants to save lives. He wants to help people. He wants to give people But what help. about what the bishop is saying? The bishop is saying a, a doctor may be a doctor, but a Catholic is a Catholic. And Catholics, he says, have no obligation whatsoever to obey this law. Michael, from day one, Michael, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to be very honest here. Uh, my main concern is the woman... And I know you said mm. the unborn child. But what about Bishop Kevin Doran's intervention? What do you make of that? Is that helpful? Well, but to be honest, probably not, Michael. Mm. Like to, to be quite honest, is we we spoke there last week in in, in, in the Oireachtas in the Dáil, and we, the, the the nine or ten TDs, we we we, mm. we, we took an amendment, and all we're looking for is is, is was safeguard. The minister, the, the minister's famous word for the last four or five years was a word mm. called clarity. And I asked him for clarity for doctors and nurses and everything else. I just asked him for clarity for the mm. patient. And all, all he mentioned to me was regulations and guidelines. He was never minister we, we, for regulations. He was never minister for, for guidelines. Like, clarity. Doctors need clarity. Doctors need to know exactly... Mm. And what, the doctors are saying that, and they may not be able to implement it. Uh, I think uh, Hollis Street was uh, the latest hospital to say it has concerns about whether it'll be able to implement the law from the beginning of January. But it, it seems as though there's a, a consensus... Amongst uh, the doctors at hospital level, that there's a lack of guidelines that they want to have in place. The Medical Council has said that uh, they're not going to rush this, so it may not be in place. Uh, But what about the separation of church and state or the intervention more to the point of the bishop in this? Kevin Doran is saying to people that Catholics have no obligation whatsoever to obey the law and that it should be resisted. Are you concerned at all that this might lead to the type of religious fanaticism that we see in America where uh, maybe a doctor will be walking out of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital or the Drogheda General Hospital or whatever it's called and be shot or something? Michael, I'm a Catholic I'm a practicing Catholic. As I said to you, that my main concern, and I, I, I think at this stage that mm. he's wrong, right? I, I personally think at the moment is let's get the system right. I do put my hands up and I said to you, come on to your programme, I accept the referendum, I accept that abortion is it's going to become legal in the 1st of January. So it's going to become illegal. Let's let's get the system right. Like, And I, and I, said, to, I said to the minister, uh, sorry, it's the minister, listen, Young girls are 16, 17 or 18 or even younger it's going to go in and, and, and look for an abortion in, uh, as from the 1st of January and have it in this country and it means that they won't have to travel to the UK. Mm. When they go in it's so important that when they go in that they know exactly what's ahead of them. They know like like there was a few people there on the opposition were saying that uh, if, when a woman has an abortion they've no regrets afterwards. I have met Loads and loads of women who had abortions and regret. All I'm trying to say is, is it's a minister. And what do you want? Do you want somebody at the hospital to tell them you're going to regret this? Or what no, do you want? no, no, no. What, no. what is it that you want? No, Michael. Mm. What I want to, Michael, first of all, uh, first of all, give them options mm. I, I, and explain them to if they're going to. That's for, that's an effort to talk yeah. them out of it. And, and no, no, it is. Well, give them options. Sure, they've already looked at the options. These are adults. No, Michael. I spoke to women who have come into my office and regret what they've done. Right, and all the like. 
like like if a woman if, mm. a, if a woman goes into the hospital and she it's explained fully exactly what a surgical procedure is and afterwards and like, like don't get me wrong Michael is like I'm just trying to say does people who who want to who want to have an abortion does people that don't know it's, it's, it's a very a, difficult a, time a, for, regardless it's, uh, it's uh, a very it's a very very it's a very very stressful pe- people coming in I mean and what kind of qualification would you have for discussing these very personal issues with people there'll be psychiatrists there's, there's, psychiatrists there's, or what, would that be Catholic psychiatrists no Michael would it be uh, Jewish psychiatrists Michael I told you that I'm a practicing Catholic mm. and I told you as far as I'm concerned is, this is completely and utterly different mm. whether you're a Catholic whether you're a Protestant no matter what, what religion you are at the moment is we're talking here it has nothing you, to do with the medical procedure I'm saying here it's, it's to do with the health and safety of, of the woman talking and it, through the options Michael yes well, Michael, if you go, if you if, if you go to do it in your life, Michael, the first thing you'll do before you go do anything, you get yourself prepared and you know exactly what's ahead of you. I I feel as though this this government has lacked facilities and especially finance. I asked I asked the minister during during the, during the committee stage at the moment is uh, how much how much is going to be invested in abortions? He said, it, and the answer he gave me back was point zero 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 of the of the mm. seventeen billion that he has. All of a sudden, money is no option whatsoever. And listen, I could be smart in your program this morning. I could say, mm. what a bit of trolley situation. I'm not going to go down that road at the moment. Is I'm very, very, very concerned about about the woman's health. And to me, the woman, like, I've got a wife, I've got two children and everything else. But all I want, I don't feel as though the minister has taught the whole thing out. Like, 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 so, like, like you know, even all his, his advisors are telling him that, mm. that things are not going to be ready in January. Okay. And, and all he's doing in the Shannon all this week is, is Russian, Russian, Russian. It's mm. not happening. Well, we, uh, serious uh, concern expressed last week by Dr Chris Fitzpatrick uh, and we're hearing from other medics uh, that there is concern uh, but not uh, about introducing uh, abortion legislation but when to introduce it uh, and if and when they're satisfied that the guidelines are safe and appropriate will that be enough for you? Uh, we put up maybe 10 or 11 amendments there last week to the, to the, to the minister. He never even looked a bit as an eye. Yeah, but like, you had, to, you had like, a vote on it. Yeah, uh, and nine TDs voted against this legislation. Uh, you're completely in the majority. So, you know, I mean, it is a democracy uh, and you did get your chance. So if and when the medics are satisfied that the guidelines are safe and appropriate, will that be enough for you? No, Michael. I, Michael, I'm not happy with guidelines. I'm not happy with regulations. As I said to you, I'm, I'm be more happy with, clar- with, with clarity. The minister from day one has always talked about clarity. When you've, ga- when you've guidelines and your regulations, like, what's to stop this government from changing as, as, as it goes along there? There's, there's nothing there at the moment. As I said to you, we have to give clarity to the man, to the woman, to everybody. Like, and some of the amendments there last week was, like, we asked for pain relief for abort- abortions and everything else, and he wouldn't even listen to us. And he's saying, oh, these things don't happen. But you look at in one year in the UK, UK there were 66 abort- uh, abortions. These these are fetus left delay just to die there. And, and we asked then also about pain relief. Like, basically, like, all we were asking for was just to listen to us. He didn't even, as I said, you know, like, one of the TDs actually called him the Northern, the Northern Minister. And I said to myself, like, all he's doing the whole time is nodding, it seems to be agreeing with you. And then all of a sudden, you're just looking for an answer and he doesn't give you an answer. Like, and, and in fairness, I asked him, I don't know many times I asked him, for clarity, Minister, please just clarify. Like, you know, these, you, you talk about healthcare. Mm. Like, healthcare, you, you, you're talking a load of bullets, what you mean. But these, these are people's life and, they, they, you know, this is the end of, 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 of a baby's life. This is, this is very, very important on both people. And I said to you, it's a very, very stressful time for everybody.
All right, we have to leave it there, but thank you indeed for coming into us uh, this morning, as always. Independent TD for Louth, Peter Fitzpatrick. What is it that makes older people happy? Well, that's what uh, the happiness question air set out uh, to find. It was created by Senior Line and uh, people at uh, the 55 Plus Expo at the RDS Rast to respond to it, as were readers of uh, the Senior Times. We're joined by Anne Dempsey, who's communications manager with a third age. Good morning, Tian, and thanks morning, for Michael. joining us here in the program. Thank you. Do you have a, a fairly good insight into what makes people happy and unhappy, for that matter, through the senior line? Uh, but what did people say to you when they responded formally to your questionnaire? Yeah, that's why we did it. We thought it'd be lovely to meet people face to face, Michael, because, as you know, on the telephone, it's great, but it's nothing like meeting people face to face. And also, while we do talk on senior line about older people being very alone and very isolated, and that's very true, that is a particular section of older people, uh, you know, that we receive on the line by the very nature of their lives. So we felt it would be a very good opportunity to use our presence in Expo to talk to a wider section of older people and get another perspective on the issue. And a, a lot of younger, older people, if I can put it that, I think the vast majority yeah. or the biggest category uh, that responded were aged between 55 and 65. That's right. I, I, I got everything and I broke it down into age categories and that was that was the biggest. But uh, as you probably see from what I said, Michael, what is very interesting is consistent right across the age range, right across people's circumstances, whether they were married with a spouse or partner, whether they were on their own, whether in urban or rural Ireland, there was a huge consistency on what older people felt made them happy. And your health is your wealth. Let's begin there. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Your health is your wealth. You know, activity or exercise, physical activity, good health, getting out—all that kind of package which helps our our our, our well-being was very much to the fore in the whole thing. And then some kind of ones that we know about, but we have been named caring for a pet. Um, caring for others um, is what I said in my piece a significant minority but in fact when I'm going through the figures this morning caring for others is a huge issue whether it's kind of maybe being good parents and grandparents maybe actually an actual caring role so I have to say without getting too kind of goody goody about it older people come out in a very positive life mm. in terms of what does make them happy there's a lot of unselfishness and thinking of others going on here you know Absolutely I mean mm. uh, I don't see any mention of limousines or exorbitant no. spending. Our discos are falling into out of a, a coppers at 3am. Well, you wouldn't expect that. <laughs> you know what I mean, Michael? Right, yeah. No, no. It's kind of, it's very good stuff, I think, you mm, know? Fairly yeah. fundamental stuff, like looking after yeah. a, a pet or going dancing. Yeah. Uh, and a few people beautifully said, not that many, but maybe more said, talking to my wife, talking to my husband, sharing a problem. When I'm feeling down, what helps me? Talking to my wife. I mean, you, like, you couldn't you couldn't make that up. That's, uh, people saying that is lovely, you know? Mm. And being yeah. active, I, I take it, very important to all of us, uh, but uh, maybe a little bit more active than people are already, because uh, you heard from people who were interested in joining a, a Keep Fit club or a swimming club or something like that. All of that. And again, it was kind of all of a piece because some of that was linked to better transport in rural Ireland. If I could get out more, I would do more. And also there was a lot I didn't include in my piece because I couldn't mm. I couldn't encapsulate everything. A lot of stuff around the value of active retirement associations and more support in local communities and setting up somewhere like, I'd love to meet people, but I don't know how to go about it kind of thing, you know. Mm. So there's there's a whole, you know, cohort of older people, as you say, young, older, middle, 
old and even old, old, that kind of, if there were more facilities, maybe on for them. Now, maybe we should say that older people should be able to do more for themselves. But if they're not, with a little bit of encouragement, they'll get out and about, they'll be more engaged. And that's to everyone's advantage. You know? uh, so and I think, why wouldn't so, they? Well, I mean, you highlight uh, the TILDA study and how we yeah. peak at the age of 68. And seeing yeah. as how we're in our prime at that age, why wouldn't we? Exactly. So I thought it was very interesting when I was doing my calculations at the Tilda study came out at the same time. When I looked at it, I was very interested to see the whole correlation. So it's all of a piece here. As you say, Michael, we're sometimes not saying anything new here, mm. but um, we're bringing a lot of information together. And the other thing that was very interesting was what what old people wanted from government. And while I stress to you that they're talking about, you know, hospitals and housing and um, home health care, as one would expect, there was, there was a lot of people were talking about, I'm just reading here, have a person at the end of the phone in a government department. Stop saying everyone has access to the internet. Treat us with dignity and more respect. Don't be marginalising us in this modern world. And again, you know, you could say, well, why don't older people learn to be more digitally aware? Maybe they've no idea to show them. Maybe they've no equipment. It's not all that easy, you know, mm. necessarily. Mm. So I think we've heard a lot of good stuff. Okay, very interesting. Mm. Thank mm. you indeed, Anne, for telling us uh, what people said to you and for joining us this morning. We just remind people before you go as well uh, about uh, Senior Line. Uh, it's yeah. a telephone service uh, which is manned by older people. They're all volunteers and you take calls from 10 in the morning until 10 in the evening uh, and that's one 800 What can people call you about? Well, I'm just thinking of Christmas I was just thinking of Christmas earlier today and people will be calling us about all kinds of things There's a kind of a, a bittersweet aspect to our calls sometimes this time people are sad I mean, Christmas makes everyone uh, happy and sad, I yeah. think Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We talk, think about our losses so that would be reflected in our calls Okay, well, one eight hundred eighty forty five ninety one. The lines will open up in about fifteen minutes' time. They're open every day from ten in the morning up until ten in the evening. And thank you, thank Anne, you for so joining much, us this morning. Okay. Thank you indeed. And Dempsey is uh, the communications manager with Third Age. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Across the world, women are speaking out against violence and Ireland has a chance to be a world leader in setting international standards to prevent, protect against and prosecute violence against women. Let's meet this challenge. Uh, That's uh, the call from Orla O'Connor in an opinion piece uh, she wrote for the Irish Independent uh, last week. As you know, Orla O'Connor is a director of uh, the National Women's Council of Ireland. She's also the chair of uh, the Irish Observatory on Violence Against Women and she's on the line. Good morning, Orla, and thanks uh, for joining morning, us here this morning. Uh, you're calling uh, for the government to ratify what's known as uh, the Istanbul Convention. Yeah, I mean, what the convention is, it's a, it's a Council of Europe convention, and it looks at issues around prevention of violence against women, and it talks about domestic violence and sexual violence. Um, it looks at a support for victims. It looks at the areas of prosecution and it also looks at the areas of policy and data. So it's a really comprehensive framework. And one of the things, the observatory is the coming together of all the sort of NGOs who are working on frontline services um, on violence against women and also a whole range of groups like migrant groups, traveller groups, who um, are also looking at that area. So we've come together and we're saying to the government that it's really important that Ireland ratify this um, 
because while we've signed it, we have we haven't ratified it. And so, am I right in thinking, Orla, that we were one of the first countries to sign it? We were, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the issue without ratifying it means that the government can't be held to account. So once once the Irish government ratifies it, then what happens is they will be um, they will have to report on how they're doing on each of the areas. There will be a country visit coming from the the committee and the Council of Europe, and 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 they will also then be making recommendations, mm. uh, a bit similar to some of the like the UN um, conventions that the government would have signed up to. Okay, so then the committee will make its observations. They'll be very public, uh, and uh, if we aren't living up to our obligations, we'll be named and shamed, so to speak. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, given the year that we've had in 2018, you know, I mean, every week there has been a story in relation to either domestic or sexual violence. And we've seen, and I mean, it's one of the things that I really feel, I think the Me Too movement is, is really just, you know, coming on board in Ireland in terms of more and more women, and very brave women, mm. speaking out about their experiences of either violence, sexual harassment, mm. and also, you know, women who have given up their anonymity coming out of really, you know, very difficult court processes mm. and talking about their experiences. It's hard to gauge what all of this means, isn't it? Because it really has been a terrible year, as you say, but is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is it a, a, a bottle that's half full or half empty, as uh, the case may yeah. Because I mean, I think I mean I think one of the things that's difficult is because we don't have the data in Ireland, mm. we don't know if is it that the incidents like is it that the number of you know that sexual violence is actually increasing in Ireland, or is it that more women are coming out and talking about it and reporting it? And if it is the latter, if more women are reporting it, well, that's really positive, and because it's really important that that we have a system that women can trust and that women can report. Why we also, I'm oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, why is it, do you think, that the Irish government has not yet ratified this convention? Well, I think they know they will have to make more changes. So, for example, one of the things this convention talks about is the number of refuge spaces. And we would only have a third of the recommended number of refuge spaces than what's recommended in the convention. So it, it will put the government under a real intense spotlight in terms of what they are doing. Now, I think, to be fair, there has been, a, like, there has been positive progress. I mean, one of the things that's happening is that there is a review in terms of how trials are conducted in terms of rape. And that's really important. And I think that's, you know, that's a positive piece to come out of um, what we've seen throughout the year in really some, some really dreadful circumstances in terms of trials and sexual violence. Mm, so, so and that positive. comes down to what many would consider to be a re-victimisation of the Absolutely. victim uh, and the questions yeah. that they're asked and uh, the type of evidence that is given in relation to clothing or whatever else, how much she's had to drink, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, what we're seeing is we're victims and women have said to us very clearly that they feel, as you said, re-victimised. The process in itself is traumatising and the supports are not there. Um, and, and I think one of the things as well is the delays. I mean, there's nearly a two-year delay for a trial to, to go forward for rape. And that is dreadful for victims because they're having to relive it all the time and they're not able in any way to try to deal with it in a way where they know they won't have to keep talking about it. Mm. And even, you know, the, I suppose it, the worry, the anxiety, the nervousness coming up for a trial is, is enormous. So we have to find ways 
And of course, there has to be due process and it has to be fair for the accused, but there has to be better ways of supporting victims. And I think the the review that the government are having is, is very positive. And I also, from the 1st of January, and it is really important to say, because we're only, you know, really a few weeks out now, there'll be the, the commencement of the domestic violence legislation, which will bring in a new offence of what's called coercive control. Mm. So this is the sort of emotional um, violence that that happens for women in, um, and men in domestic violence situations. Um, and that's a really important piece that's coming on in the 1st of January, so it's important people know about it. And that also does represent progress, but it's all very piecemeal. And that's why we believe that, you know, by signing up and by ratifying this convention, it will give us a more comprehensive framework that, and, and for organisations like the Women's Council to really push the government and to hold them to account and to do it at an international level as well. All right. Uh, and you mentioned due process. Uh, I suppose marital rape is uh, a very good example of when it's difficult to, to get a, a conviction and uh, to make sure that there is a due process because, like, a lot of these uh, offences, it's word against word. Yes, that's true. I mean, what we've seen in terms of marital rape, we, we, we have very few cases of marital rape that have gone the whole way in terms of the criminal justice systems. I mean, we've only had four convictions. And it is extremely difficult for, for a woman in that situation to come forward and report. So I think that's where we need to start there, because we know that, like, the evidence would show from other countries that have that it, that is happening in domestic violence situations. So we need to be able to support women to come forward and report. And also, we, we, we need to have a, tr- a trial system that is supportive of the victim while also having, you know, respecting the rights of the accused. But we can do a, an awful lot better than what we're currently doing. And it's also, as well as the trial process, it's also about societal change because we still blame victims in terms of domestic violence. We still ask the questions around, why didn't you leave? You know, why did you stay? So we put the emphasis on the victim rather than putting the emphasis on the perpetrator and asking, you know, asking a societal question around, why are we letting this happen mm. in our society. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, the data that we work off in this country. The Central Statistics Office is uh, to carry out a, a new survey uh, and uh, to gauge uh, how many people have been a victim of uh, sexual abuse and violence. Uh, it's uh, the second savvy report, uh, mm. as it's called in this country, but it's got to take some time before it's published. Yeah, I mean, in in the first instance, it is very positive that the CSO, because that's the Central Statistics Office, it's the state body, are going to take responsibility for this. But they're saying it's going to take another five years. And we do not, and in the observatory and the National Women's Council, we do not believe that that's acceptable. Yes, we understand that this is, it's a sensitive survey. It involves, you know, a lot of skills in terms of those who will be carrying it out. And there also needs to be, a, you know, a a lot of IT development in terms of it. But five years doesn't, it is simply too long. And in addition to the five years, Michael, they're saying that for particular groups of women, such as migrant women or smaller groups in the population, mm. that those those studies won't happen in parallel. They'll have to wait till after the five years. And last time round, uh, I think it was found that about one in four people uh, was uh, the subject of uh, sexual abuse or or rape in this country. And that uh, could very well increase given uh, the change in uh, the population and the diversity that's in our population, but also because of technology like the Internet and the influence that pornography is having on uh, the way people behave now. 
Well, that's it. And I mean, yeah, I mean, whereas the crimes, you know, the crimes continue to be committed, but but the behaviour of perpetrators is, is quite different. And particularly, I mean, yes, I mean, there are issues in terms of pornography, how we deal with that. Also, um, harassment online and how that's dealt with within our laws. They're all really important pieces. And, and, and pornography is, 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 is one area that needs to be looked at more in terms of, of the convention and its impact in terms of um, issues around sexual violence. Okay, we we have- also need to look at new laws that take on those newer ways of, of harassing and committing those crimes. Okay, Orla, I have to leave it there, but thank you indeed for joining us as always. Orla O'Connor, Director of the National Women's Council of Ireland and the Chair of the Irish Observatory on Violence Against Women. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. We had lots of reaction to your interview at the top of the programme with Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick. A listener says full details and clarification on abortion needs to be outlined as patient care will be compromised. We already have a demanding health care system. We should take time and listen to consultants and GPs who have revised safety concerns. Emma text in to say breaks my heart listening to Peter Fitzpatrick this morning. Well done, Peter. You did a good fight for the most vulnerable in our society. I have a daughter and to think she is only 15 and could have an abortion without me knowing upsets me. Children need their family. I was watching the Oireachtas Live last week and the minister didn't seem to care. Tim phoned in from Dundalk and doesn't know how hospitals will cope with the additional pressure of having to provide abortion services, is wondering, will more staff be recruited specifically for this? All right. Uh, I must say, I was watching some of the Oireachtas debate myself and I thought the Minister seemed to care, care an awful lot in actual fact. Uh, maybe he didn't hold the same opinion as our, our listener. Actually, I think he held a completely different opinion than our listener, but he seemed to care an awful lot about that and about the women who were looking for this service and so that they wouldn't have to travel elsewhere to avail of it. Uh, I'm uh, not sure. It's a, an interesting question, uh, the one the listener raises, though, about a 15-year-old as a a minor, I think uh, that there would be some sort of uh, parental uh, consent required uh, in uh, cases of medical procedures. If I have a fling tonight, can I get an abortion in January? Joan wants to know. If she has a witch? A fling tonight. Oh, um, well, if uh, you're pregnant and you want to terminate the pregnancy in January, uh, I think uh, the question is yes. There's unrestricted access to abortion up to 12 weeks uh, gestation. Now, let's uh, talk uh, a little bit uh, uh, about shopping online. A lot of people doing a lot of shopping and a lot of people doing a lot of shopping online in the run-up to Christmas. And Dermot Jewell, Policy and Council Advisor with uh, the Consumers Association of Ireland, joins us now. Good morning to you, Dermot, and thanks for joining us. Uh, There's been a change in... European law uh, and uh, this issue of uh, geo-blocking uh, which has been uh, the subject of a, a lot of complaints over a lot of time is finally being put to bed. Oh finally yes you're right good morning Michael um, yes um, back in March um, if you like the regulation came into force but it really came into across the EU into force from the 3rd of December so we're, we're in a new, a new era and this kind of follows the overall digital strategy 
that was, for example, the same approach that got rid of, of uh, roaming charges. So the, the goal here is that very often there were blocks put in place by businesses um, and there were predominantly there were territorial restrictions. So in other words, if you went onto a website and you were trying to purchase something in another member state, mm. um, it would either um, divert you to a, another website, if you like, or a linked website um, here in Ireland. So the pricing would be different. The terms and conditions would be different. They, that cannot happen anymore. And um, you, is you there much of a difference, Dermot? There, there, there can be because mm. now it's 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 not it's not going to be very clear, Michael. Until you get no. down into it, for example, one of one of the the areas they point out is that if you want to now, you can literally purchase a television set in the UK. You just need to find out what exactly is going to cost you to get it delivered here. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. this so doesn't may, cover the yeah. delivery. Yeah, no. So mm. it may be mm. way cheaper, but actually getting it from a to you can be quite expensive but it's taken a number of those restrictions out and some of the other ones were whereby predominantly I don't know about your good sales but we had a lot of complaints about this whereby somebody would be online let's say to a a, a website in the UK Hmm. and the reason they were there was that the same holiday here would be let's say 500 euro The, the equivalent in the UK if you bought it through the website there would be about 350 euro. Right. The okay. problem was is that when you came to the end to make the payment, it would not allow you because it, it noted that your card, your mm. bank card was from um, outside of the UK jurisdiction and it blocked you. Right. So all of that has gone against. So there are some good possibilities in the background of it. Okay, so you're going to avail of cheaper prices where they're available. And I take it that there's uh, some countries where you'd expect prices uh, to be cheaper. And if you were to go over to Poland, let's say, uh, and go into the shops there, you could get a few bargains. Uh, and I assume that you can get them online now for the same price. This is it. And that's why this is opening up a whole new series of opportunities that even consumers, I don't think, are fully going to understand until they they get down and actually start to work into it. Mm. And of course, the key is going to be um, what happens if you find you're still blocked. Well, obviously. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
thing you do is that you, you're, you're able to now make a complaint predominantly to the Competition Consumer Protection Commission, yep. but um, it, it shouldn't be happening. But it, it, there, it's, it's important to note that there are a couple of exclusions. Um, um, financial services are, are outside of the scope of it. Transport services are outside the scope of it. So that can, when it says transport, you can be talking about flights and trying to book them in different jurisdictions. So, sometimes you, there was never a, 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 a block, but they could still be continued um, if, if the provider wants So you to. might get a cheaper holiday, but you won't necessarily get a cheaper flight. Exactly. Right, this okay. It. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. again... It's good, and there are little weird idiosyncrasies within it, which might frustrate the, 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 all of us at the best of times. Mm. Um, the other element that's kind of key is that when it comes to streaming services and ebooks, they're not covered under the under the, the, the geo blocking regulation, um, because there was a serious fight back from the providers. So that said. It is under review again early in the new year to see what can be agreed to bring it in under the new regulation. Okay, and of course you have to find the sites as well because they'll have uh, different addresses than the addresses that normally come up in a search for us in Ireland. Yeah, exactly. This is it. Um, And I mean, I I think everybody listening will understand, you know, the the way these sites are set up, they're they're very, very professional. They're Mm. very, very clear. They identify exactly where you're coming from, what you're doing, how you're paying and the the means in which you want to move on. So the, the blocking has been very, very effective. Taking it out is it's it's a bit like as I say the roaming charges. Um, I remember for years trying to mm-hmm. trying to get agreement, and when we talk about dragging, kicking, and screaming, they did not want to reduce the prices. Yeah, so well, this pe- is going to have some some hiccups. Yeah, I'm sure you'll agree though, Dermot. People are, are so astute; they'll make them do it if that's what they're required to do. And if let's yeah. say there's a, a flight for 300 uh, available in the UK, and you're paying 500 for it here, it won't be long before you pay 300 for it. Uh, it's a very good point and that's the, that's the goal it'll oh. open up competition it'll bring us all to a far better place because there's no reason why not that, is, that was the idea of the open market I mean it's the whole purpose of the EU the interesting element and I hate to bring it up is what is going to happen in the terms of the UK moving outside of that regulation. <laughs> I would imagine they will, because of competition, yeah. they will hold and go with the, the intention behind it. But then nobody really is certain just yet. Uh, we might be a little bit clearer come uh, tomorrow night, uh, but we leave that there for the moment. Uh, we'll be back talking about Brexit in a few minutes' time, but thank you indeed for joining us uh, this Take morning. Care. That's uh, Dermot Jewell, Policy and Council Advisor with uh, the Consumers Association of Ireland. Now, back to you and more of your thoughts, Marie. Yes, Michael, and back to that interview at the top of the programme with Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick. Carmel from Navin phoned in, says she finds it very offensive that people, including yourself, Michael, use the term silly bustering when people are raising genuine concerns about proposed legislation. I'd be hugely concerned that under 16-year-olds would be able to access abortions without parents' consent or having them with them. It's literally a life or death situation. All time should be taken to express all concerns. Over 30% of the electorate voted no. A lot of people who voted yes did not vote for the current legislation that is going to come in, says Carmel. Bernie from from Dalik, listening to the interview and I took offence with the way the health minister behaved in the doll towards Peter Fitzpatrick. I felt that he was rolling his eyes, he was shrugging his shoulders, he wasn't uh, behaving very nicely towards him and Peter Fitzpatrick is a public representative 
representative and is entitled to speak in the doll. Well, he did. <laughs> he but she did. didn't like the <laughs> the health minister's reaction to okay. what he was saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Bernie yeah. also wanted to comment on another topic that I know we're going to be covering on the show later on and we covered on Friday and I've a mountain of comments in relation to that and that's this plan to change the name of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. Bernie says, I've been attending the Lourdes since I was about 14 years of age and that's well over 50 years ago, she says. Have no issue with the hospital staying as Our Lady of Lourdes. That's on my records down through the years. Are we going to start changing names of housing estates and street names? It's the name of the hospital. Hospital end of. Doesn't need to change. Uh, another listener was in touch, Francis, to say rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Will renaming it clear the backlogs? Will it fix the issues that uh, bedevil it? No, it won't. Will it sort out the management? No, it won't. It will cause hundreds of thousands to rebrand. So he's not in favour. Mag says a load of nonsense. Leave our name alone. The money that could be used for this name change could be used to open up wards, pay our nurses better, get patients off the trolleys. She says Charlie and Navin believes that this talk about a possible name for the Lords has been used as a diversion tactic to distract people's attention away from the greater problems within the health service and society at large. He says the people need to keep their wits about them and not allow themselves to be distracted from the issues that really matter. Uh, Cormac though thinks that it should be changed and he's suggesting that it's called the Drogheda North East Regional Hospital and perhaps put a respectable museum to the medical missionaries of Mary on the ground floor. Deirdre and Kells wonders will they now try to also change the name of Our Lady's Hospital in Navin and she feels it's madness the suggestion that they're known as Our Lady of Lords Hospital and Our Ladies in Navin and they should remain the same. Tommy from Navin says that it'll, an awful lot of money will be wasted on letterhead signs and he says that it shouldn't happen. Another listener says, how about are you off your trolley yet Dolly Hospital? Uh, Jerry from Dundalk thinks, thought it was an April Fool's uh, day or joke when he heard us talking about this on Friday. He says it is a Christian country we are living in. Are we going to change everything that's called after Our Lady or a saint like roads or venues? I think it's ridiculous. Kieran says, are they embarrassed because it was run better before the HSE took over? Changing the name won't change that. Ed from Drogheda, the PC and Snowflakes gang have us all driven demented. Leave the name of our hospital alone. I'm sick to death of this, he says. Uh, Another listener, political correctness, bull. The hospital is known by this name and whatever changes are made for the people who use it, that will always be the name. Fix the real problems with the hospital. This is not one of them. And there's lots more where they came okay. from, Michael. All right. Thanks for that, Marie. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's being said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the European Court of Justice has ruled uh, this morning that uh, the United Kingdom can unilaterally revoke Article 50. In other words, the United Kingdom can change its mind, cancel Brexit and stay in the European Union. It may not be a bad idea considering the government is set to lose uh, the very important Commons vote tomorrow and uh, the fact uh, that uh, the British government believes uh, that we'll face food shortages in uh, this country in 
uh, the event of a hard Brexit. Uh, the government papers leaked to, to the Times uh, reported on Friday that we're looking at a 7% drop in gross domestic product and uh, Tory MP Pretty Patel said that this should be used as leverage in negotiations to get Ireland to drop the insistence that uh, we've had on putting a backstop in place. Uh, but as to whether uh, Britain would stop Irish trucks from travelling through it to Europe or not has become another area of discussion. The president of the Irish Road Haulage Association, Verona Murphy, has told the Irish Times today that she doesn't believe that this would be the case. She joins us now and thanks for doing so as always, Verona. But it doesn't need that in order to cause a lot of problems because the delays that truckers face as a result of this change in the United Kingdom's status would make it feel that way you say well look at I uh, good morning to your listeners and yourself I, I have to say that the comments by pretty Patel were pretty cynical and I believe that the most damage that could be done by halting trucks traveling through the UK is that it would affect mostly the UK supply chain of the supermarkets here in Ireland the, the UK supermarkets uh, Ireland produces enough food to feed up to 30 million people which is about five times what we actually need ourselves so we're top of Bloomberg's list of self-sufficient countries knocking the US off last year. So I would disregard those comments as just disruptive and she has been sacked and she was a former minister. She's now an MP. I think uh, to put it mildly, would it be in her bonnet? Well, it's not her opinion uh, that we'd have food shortages. Maybe it is, uh, but the comments she made were on foot of government papers being leaked to the Times which say that trade in perishable goods such as food supplies would be particularly badly affected. Well I can't see in what way we are an island nation. There would be disruption. I don't think that it will contribute to the 7% GDP that's forecast by uh, the Copenhagen uh, report. The point is that Ireland would certainly suffer but through disruption and being an island nation many of the goods would be just redirected into ports in Ireland uh, from ports in the UK so without having taken landfall in the UK they would come to Dublin or Rosslare Europort and I think that's what's primary here is that the Irish government is prepared and has prepared us with these ports being up to scratch for when this may happen because what we do know is that this agreement is looking like it may fail on Tuesday or tomorrow in a vote it doesn't look like the UK has an alternative. Yes, the ECJ this morning says that they can unilaterally revoke Article 50, mm. but that would take another referendum. So whilst the best option is probably to hold Article 50 while they hold another referendum, that prolongs the agony, especially for us, because tr- sterling exchange rates are affecting us badly. All right, well, the argument that is being made in these British government papers is that because Ireland is a more open economy than and the UK, accounting for 60% of GDP comprised of goods, imports and exports as opposed to 40% for Great Britain, the hit economically would be worse here than there. And they say that the threat of food shortages is because of a range of food products that we import from the UK. Absolutely. The statement makes sense on the basis that food shortages, but not shortages of food that are, you know, primary. Maybe your selection of biscuits and chocolates might be reduced. But again, if you look at some of our supermarkets, they're mainly sourced in Ireland. The product of beef, uh, your main stable diet. I mean, I do not. How can a 
country that produces enough food for 30 million people end up with a food shortage with a population of just over five. There's no doubt about it. We are Britain's biggest trading partner when it comes to food. Britain only is only self-sufficient to 40% of the food that's required. And we supply 60% of what we export goes to the UK. So I cannot see how the UK thinks we would be worse off. The, the difference is we don't, much of our product comes into the UK and hits landfall in a hub in London and then comes to, or, or the outer, you know, northern England, then comes to Ireland. Mm. But it comes from mainland Europe. So s- subsequently what would happen is that it would just travel direct. Okay, but there'll be a shortage of certain foods. Uh, and if there's a particular Again, brand of biscuits, yeah, as you say, that you like, correct. you may not be able to get them. And I mean, I, your your own stable diet product, as I said, we have a surplus five times mm. over what we need. So I think, yes, whilst there'd be disruption and there would be products that you would like to access and you may not be able to access, I'm not saying that you won't. Mm. I mean, it just seems to me it's hyperbole. It's something that was leaked. We don't know in what context it was referred to in the document. Yeah. Priti Patel herself has said she was taken out of context, which is usually used when she has made a faux pas. Mm. I, look, from my perspective, I'm not in the least bit concerned. What I am concerned about is that the ports in Ireland of Dublin and Rossclare Europort are prepared in any event for a hard Brexit. And I think what's primary mm. is that Rossclare Europort in particular must be made an agriculture border post for this very reason. Okay, but uh, I mean, there must be concern uh, about that type of of impact in terms of importing and exporting anyway because, uh, well, perhaps we'll export less but in terms of imports, if we can't get Billy's biscuits, well then Harry's biscuits are going to be more expensive, aren't they? Yes, absolutely, but every country is facing the same thing there and I think that's where we are going to suffer and I think what you will see then is that people will, that's where your 7% in GDP turnover, everything occurs and that's what causes this, mm. a multiple of, of things like people not spending because they're nervous, not purchasing products that have become too expensive, fruit coming from countries that would ordinarily be cheaper because we're buying in bulk, packaging of goods mm. that are produced for England and Ireland only as a secondary country. And then the cost you face, uh, I mean, as those who transport these goods, uh, you're talking about enormous costs. I think uh, the drinks industry is talking about uh, €100 Euro per truck passing through the border on this island, uh, but uh, somebody's going to pay for that. Well, and, and that's a fact, but it can't be us. I mean, our costs are our costs, but we can't absorb them because our profit margins are quite low. It, and that, again, will add, as I say, to the cost of everything. Mm. But that's where we're expected, as I say. That's where the forecast of the 7% comes from. I don't think if it's a hard Brexit, there's any way to avoid it. I think there, the English people as a whole and Northern Ireland are delusional if they think mm. that there will be another deal. This deal is the best deal on the table. And anybody that has dealt in Europe at po- political level in the EU will know that this is not just a Brexit for the UK. This is a Brexit for every other country in the EU. Some of them are going through turbulence. Mm, it seems time. that argument has already been lost. Well, well it's lost, yeah, but I yeah. mean, it's a fact. Whether but, it's lost or not, it is a fact. And mm. I think that the UK may well make a decision here that will leave its people suffering for years to come. What about own brand products? There'll be a, a lot of British companies trading here and people will be buying their brand of 
cornflakes or clothing or whatever it is. And that was my initial point in relation to Priti Patel's comments that they will be the biggest sufferers because if the Lambridge is disrupted, their goods come from the UK and those products come into the UK and from the UK. I'm t- I was talking about circumventing the UK in relation to the other supermarket chains where they, the product comes from mainland Europe. Mm. You know, the reality, as you say, is that those types of products are going to affect mainly UK supermarket chains who are operating here. And, and that's, I'm sure, the business community of the UK is only too well aware of what they are facing and they don't want it, but they're, they don't seem to have a voice. Number one, it's my opinion that they came out too late in the day. They didn't see fit to lobby in any regard the public when it was coming the first referendum. Now they're trying to have it overturned, and I think realistically, I mean, you take Boeing, uh, they will strictly speaking have to leave the UK if there's a hard Brexit because they will not be assured of regulatory standards and they cannot produce a product for the EU that's in the south of England. So what do, you, what, what do you think will happen? My hope, I, I mean anything mm. can happen and a, and a day at this stage or an hour yeah. at this stage is a long time in politics. My hope would be that for Ireland's sake that they will pass this Brexit agreement, okay. although it's looking pretty yeah. unlikely. Realistically ultimately, speaking, what do you well, think will Well, happen? ultimately, yeah. I think at this stage, Theresa May has the opportunity to halt Article 50. The ECJ's opinion doesn't carry much weight in the UK. However, I think it's an out for her. She could halt it and say, we will revisit this at, at a later stage. And that can be mm. in 10 years. I'm not sure that she can, uh, because it's a piece of legislation uh, that... Uh, no, she can halt Article 50 whilst she goes with another referendum and she can do that I mean the, the, that's what the ECJ ruling is this morning she can halt it but it has to be referendum so what yes. she would have to do mm. is ask the other 27 member states for an extension and I think they will give her that I do not see that would be a problem if she's going to have another referendum I think the other EU member states will agree but not to another deal I think the deal that's there is the deal is on the table the only extension will be for extra time in order to change their mind uh, and what odds would you give Theresa May on having the chance to deal with the fallout of the vote being lost tomorrow? Well, uh, you mean will she, yeah. will she resign? Or <laughs> exactly, will she yeah. I cannot see that she, to be honest, I don't think there's anybody wants to take her place, even uh, the Labour leader. Uh, I really think she will weather it. I think this is not a mess of her making, remember. She wasn't the person. She's a Remainer herself. Mm. So I think she has weathered the storm. Uh, I think if you go back there to Rhys Moggs about a month ago, they were insistent that they had the 49 signatures in which to challenge her leadership. That quite obviously was just a ruse and one that was quite embarrassing. They had about 15 signatures and they got up to about 28. So I think Theresa May is well able to weather the storm. Uh, I don't see anybody lining up to take her place Mm. and I cannot see any reason behind an election at this time. 28 that we know of. uh, There may be more and uh, that... But more that may be not happy with the agreement but not necessarily challenging her leadership. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, Like everything else, there's a a lot of uncertainties at at the moment and you really would need a crystal ball, wouldn't you? I can't see, Michael, what's changed between when they could have challenged her leadership and now. I do not see what's changed. I mean, yes, they're asking her Mm. to delay the vote that may be an option, but I can't see why. I would see no reason for it. I think she knows readily that whilst the EU might listen to any other comments, they will not renegotiate mm. a deal. I can't uh, but regardless of how it pans out, Rona, do you think that there's 
any realistic prospect of the United Kingdom crashing out of the European Union? Very much. There's a Do reason. you really? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, the English have a long history of, you know, patting themselves on the back that they can survive. And, and many of the politicians I've met mm. that aren't Welsh or Scottish are firmly of the belief that they can do it alone. But without any great reasoning behind it, it just seems to be coming from the heart, you know, that this is Britain, we can do this. But realistically, if you even listen to the likes of the LBC radio stations and you hear what commentary is made, the truth is that the World Trade Organization and what Britain thinks they can do depends on them as a member now whilst in the EU. So those, there's no, it could be very, very significantly different in how they will trade with WTO rules if they crash out. Mm. And that's the point. They, everything that they do at the moment depends mm. on them being a member of the EU. And currently they are, but if they crash out, all those things change. Well, well it's a, a game of Russian roulette, isn't it? Yes. All right, listen, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we're getting closer to understanding uh, what all of this will mean uh, because of uh, the vote tomorrow, obviously. But thank you, as I say, for joining us uh, this morning. Verona Murphy is president of uh, the Irish Road Haulage Association. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's talk about Michal Martin's mood and if it is as light as Fia Kelly of the Irish Times told us it might be on Friday's programme. Uh, Thomas Byrne is a Fianna Fáil TD for Meath East. He's on the line. Are you one of the senior TDs in the party who's detected this lightness in Mr Martin's mood? Um, I didn't hear Fia on, on, on Friday in her show and certainly... Talking to Michal Martin, he's uh, he's certainly a man with a vision of what he wants to achieve uh, for the party and for the country. And well, the context uh, of Fia Kelly's comments were in line with the article that he wrote, an opinion piece he wrote in the Irish Times uh, on Friday, which uh, referred to a lightness in Michal Martin's mood, suggesting that he'd made a decision that he's comfortable with in terms of whether to extend the confidence and supply agreement with Finnegal or not. Well, again, I repeat what I said. I, mean, I think Michal Martin is somebody that I know that, generally speaking, has a vision, uh, knows what he's about, can, can you know see the pathway. And to be quite honest with you, Michael, uh, the country and Fianna Fáil have been through many, uh, many ups and downs over the last number of years, so I'm not sure that anything really phases him at the moment. And I think the same goes to the rest of us. We'll take things as they come. We'll do what's in the best interest of the country, first and foremost. And I think you can see that with the decision that's already been taken in relation to Brexit, where Fianna Fáil has determined not to do anything at all uh, that would interfere with Brexit uh, that would damage the national interest so we've told the government there'd be no election certainly on our part uh, at least until after uh, Brexit has gone through uh, the Brexit deal has gone through ratification in the UK Parliament and in the European Parliament and obviously that's very very complicated so all eyes are in London tomorrow and certainly all eyes in Fianna Fáil are in London tomorrow mm, Well the speculation at the moment is uh, that Fianna Fáil is going to continue with uh, this arrangement which facilitates uh, the government for at least another year. Well, uh, that's speculation. I mean, look, the speculation a number of months ago was that Leo Varadkar was trying to goad us into an election and things changed. But the only thing I can say is that, you know, we have had an agreement, we've stuck by that agreement uh, and we're now reviewing that agreement to see mm. where it has got us, where it has got the country. Uh, and when that is done, and that review hasn't finished yet, Michael, this talks, there are talks still going on this week. And I say we'll be really watching Brexit closely as well. But when that review is finished, then uh, Michal and the party will make a decision as to where we go from here. And that's what we said all along. And really, there's been no change in that. 
there's been a lot of work done though in the meantime uh, between our negotiating team uh, and uh, Fine Gael to see you know where the review has got us and where 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 the conference supply has got the country so we we'll be looking at that in some detail i suspect this week next week and cer- certainly in the immediate run after christmas we'll be we'll be studying that very very carefully before a decision is taken uh, and i gather from what you're saying uh, that the party won't be taking any position until uh, we see the outcome of the commons vote and the fallout of uh, the result of that vote well, I suppose there's a, there's a Brexit deadline of the 29th of March. Okay, that could possibly be extended, but at the moment that's the 29th of March. So, so we've said that there shouldn't be an election in this country until at least then, until at least whatever is going to go April through goes through UK whatever, and goes yeah. through mm-hmm. goes through um, goes through the European Parliament. So, so look, whatever might happen tomorrow in the in the British Parliament. You know that could be done again, or there could be changes, or there could be some other decision taken before the end of March, and um, there may be an extension. We don't know. We see European Court judgment this morning in relation to that as well. So, so that this could all happen. And while that's happening, while that uncertainty is there, we think actually it's really important for there to be certainty in this country, and that's why we've said that. Uh, we won't we won't precipitate a general election. There's a, there's a lot happening outside the country that affects the country badly, and we don't want to add to that instability. You haven't made up your mind as yet yourself, have you, Thomas Byrne? I think the way to do it would be to do what we said we do, Michael, which is actually to have the review, uh, let the negotiating team do that. They've done that for the most part. They're about to finish it, I think, uh, and then study it. And I think that's been consistent. We 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 want to be very very careful, very very deliberative about this. We've the country to think about first and foremost. We've Fianna Fáil to think about as well. Uh, and when 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 that's done, and when that thinking and discussion discussion is done, uh, then a decision will be made. But but to be honest, a lot of it's out of our hands. I mean, the, with what's happening at European level, and indeed, uh, Fine Gael, um, they they could decide to pull the plug at any particular time. That that would be up to them. But uh, I think what we've done is absolutely consistent with everything we've done since we entered into this agreement in in in, in May of 2016. Why, though? I mean, what would the problem be in having and holding a, a general election? Uh, how would that be damaging for the country? Well, there's never a problem holding a general election. There's never a problem with democracy, Michael, I grant you that. But mm-hmm. I think it would be damaging between now and the end of March while, while the Brexit discussions are going on because what happens is, what's happening already is that there's instability in Europe and Britain, and that's leading already uh, to, a, to a level of economic decline across Europe, particularly in Britain, but that has an impact on us and that uncertainty has an impact on business decisions and on people's personal decisions as well. We see consumer confidence has dropped uh, in the last number of, of surveys of that and that's directly as a result of, of, of Brexit and the uncertainty in the UK. And then it, our, our opinion is, and you know, we might be wrong, we might be right, but our opinion is, and it's based on experience, it's based on judgment that we're making at the moment, is that if we added to that uncertainty by having an election uh, during that process, that would only damage things further. So I think mm. it's steady as you go for us. And, uh, and why can't you silence some of uh, your own TDs in relation to this? We don't silence anybody. Mm. That's, that's but well, why can't you win that argument? Are. Why can't you win that argument? with? Well, sure, no, who said we've lost the argument? I mean, people are entitled to different views. That's a dem- democratic party. We have parties like Sinn Féin that don't tolerate mm. different views and other parties as well. You know, you get... Uh, 40, 40. Well, are you concerned then to make your own argument, no. to put your own argument back to you? Are you concerned then when John McGuinness or Mark McSharry or Mary Butler, for that uh, case, uh, talks uh, about so propping up at Fine Gael uh, and uh, diminishing Fianna Fáil's growth, that that will feed into uncertainty? 
Well, I accept there are different points of view, Michael. I mean, you'd have to, we're a democracy. Like, you get 44 TDs together and 14 senators, whatever we have, and, and you, you have a discussion. Like, it, it doesn't work that everybody's going to have the same opinion. It doesn't work in any organisation. So that's never going to happen. So those TDs are going to give their own views. Mm. I, I've, I suppose, accepted Michal's judgment on this particular issue. Uh, and I've, I've said to him that I, w- I would trust his judgment on it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm, I expect this week or next week to have a fairly full, frank, open discussion about this. So I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot about that in the media and, and, and various opinions will be given. But at the moment, the talks are still going on. Uh, the Brexit vote is happening okay. as well. And I'm sure you won't be surprised that the Brexit vote will happen and uh, that Theresa May's government will lose that vote uh, and that uh, they may look for uh, an extension, that they'll halt Article 50 and they'll look for an extension and uh, then we'll be looking at a referendum and we could be talking about Brexit this time next year. We could be, but the point is at the moment it's in a state of particular uncertainty. If there was an extension given, I think everybody would take a breather. Everybody would be a bit more relaxed. You'd see that consumer confidence survey going up. You'd see business confidence going up, I think, as well. Uh, so, that, that could, ch- yes, that could change the context of it. And I hope it does because it's very damaging for this country. Uh, we, ne- we need that to happen. But let's, we, we, at the same time, we still have to wait for tomorrow. I think we've taken the right approach in Fianna Fáil. And, and we had, by the way, the party had a discussion about this and had a decision about this. You know, and overwhelmingly the party gave Michal uh, his, his support for, for this approach. But, you know, you're never going to get everybody agreeing. And, and I think that would be unnatural and undemocratic if absolutely everybody had the exact same opinion uh, as the leader of the party. But when we take a decision as a party, uh, then the party must go out and sell the decision and, and, and make the case. And that's what we've been doing. Uh, while at the same time, our negotiating team very quietly, very effectively have been reviewing this competence supply agreement uh, to see where it has brought us. And they, I expect, will be reporting back very, very shortly. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that it's going to continue uh, for very much longer. All right. We'll leave there for the moment. Thank you, though, for joining us uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil TD for me, this Thomas Byrne. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, Fianna Fáil is asking its uh, members and uh, supporters uh, to give a boost uh, to local election candidates in uh, the Drogheda area by piggybacking some of uh, the opposition that there is uh, to uh, change in uh, the name of uh, the hospital, Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. The general manager of the hospital has said it's her intention to change the name of the hospital to University Hospital Drogheda or Drogheda Regional Hospital or the Drogheda General Hospital and she's asked for feedback by Friday of this week so that this change can go ahead. We're joined now by Anthony Moore who is that local election candidate for Fianna Fáil and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. You're asking people far and wide uh, to voice their opposition to this. That's right, Michael. Well, first of all, just to, um, I suppose, say one thing. I'm not piggybacking on the opposition to this particular uh, proposed name change. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm leading the opposition to that um, for good reason. Um, I was born in the Lord's Hospital. Uh, my late mother worked there. Um, close relatives of mine uh, got treatment there over uh, their lives. Uh, so I feel that I have a strong personal connection to the hospital, like most of the people of Drogheda. Um, and over the years in Drada, we've seen far too many good things taken off us. Our borough council was taken off us in 2014. Mm. And now we're in a situation where some clipboard carrying bureaucrat uh, on the whim uh, of uh, that person, they want to change the name of the hospital. And what I'm saying to the people of Drada is enough is enough. Uh, Our Lady of Lords is uh, synonymous with Drada. Uh, let's hold on to the name let's keep it and let's rise up in resistance to this proposal. Would you not be better going to the clipboard-carrying bureaucrat, as you put it, uh, with a strong evidence-based case rather than uh, this uh, gimmick that you've come up with? 
Not a gimmick, Michael. Um, the clipboard-carrying bureaucrat that I've mentioned didn't see fish to come to the people of Drogheda. Uh, what you have to understand is that this is part of Drogheda. It was founded in 1957 by Mother Mary Martin and the medical missionaries of Mary with donations from the people of the town. Yeah. So this hospital belongs to the town as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I think a lot of people in Drogheda would share that view. Um, the first and do, 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 do you think Mother uh, Mary Martin will want abortions carried out in her name? I have no doubt she wouldn't, Michael, but no. that's not the issue. There's well, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think it may be the issue. Uh, no, but I mean, you've said it's not the issue. Let me, let me argue as to why it may be the issue. Abortions will be available in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda from January. Is that what the nuns want? Have you asked the nuns if they want it done in their name? Michael, I haven't spoken to the nuns about that particular matter, and I'm sure that the nuns would not be in favour of that, but this is a different issue. Our Lady of Lords Hospital is a symbol of Drogheda. It's it will be an abortion centre. And that will be one of the services that will be carried out there. Yes. But that has nothing to do mm. with the name. The name is synonymous with the town. And in fact, the name links us with the wider world. I've set up a petition, Michael, um, online. Uh, if people want to go onto my Facebook page, it's Anthony Moore 2019. They can access that petition there and they can sign it. I put that petition up online yesterday and already we've got over 300 signatures on that petition from the Drogheda diaspora. People from the town, but also Drogheda people living in New Zealand. Are you sure? Canada, the Middle East, yes, you, and they've all put comments on it, and they're all hopping mad about this, Michael. Are you sure? Uh, and that, that, that is what... Uh, how, how, how do you know who's... Keep how, the name. how do you know who signed it? Because they write their names on it, Michael, and they say where they are. And well, some, of, some of them do. Uh, there's some, some, quite a lot of them yeah, have. There's, there's some unsigned names. Uh, we don't know if people are... Uh, you know, a fella's going on and calling himself Mary or Josie, or, or if he's going on three or four times, or where they're living, or if they're from the town, or if they're Fianna Fáil supporters. It, it, maybe no, it's, I don't get the sense that yeah. that's the case at all, Michael. Yeah. I think if you look at the comments, you see people have written some very uh, articulate uh, responses. Oh, I see that, yes. Yeah. And I think people are very genuine in relation mm. to this. Yeah. Uh, and but there's no way of gauging, there's no way of gauging anything from it. Uh, what we do know we is... say the same about any petition, Michael, but the fact of the matter... No, I don't think you can. There, and I'm asking yeah. people to sign it, because... Well, why don't, don't you ask, why, why, don't, why don't you ask them to, to, to go into the hospital or uh, into the council office and ask them to sign it? Well, we're having a protest today at the hospital at 3 o'clock. We're going to go up there and we're going to make our views known. So I'm asking mm. people to come to the hospital today at 3 o'clock because it's very important that the people in the hospital, who, as I say, Michael, did not see fish to consult the people of Drogheda on this issue. Uh, now did did you consult the nuns on the issue? Of the people. Did you consult Michael, the nuns on sorry. the issue? Don't, I don't have to consult the nuns. Are you on the speaking? Issue, Michael, are you speaking? HSE are you speaking on behalf of the nuns? And I'm not speaking on behalf of the nuns. Okay. I to the uh, nuns. Do, do you accept that the nuns might prefer the name to be changed? Michael, what I'm doing here is representing the views of all the people of Drogheda, many of whom. Doesn't matter what. Ah, uh, no. No, 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 I'm sorry. No, nobody can make, no, nobody can, no, nobody can make a claim, nobody can make a claim like that, Anthony. That's that's just nonsense. You're, you're suggesting that, you're suggesting. I was weekend, I was down. Yeah, but you're, you're suggesting that all of the people of Drogheda vote. Yeah, many, okay, many of the people, fine. People who are not in Fianna Okay, you can keep talking. You can keep talking or you can engage. You can keep talking or you can engage in the conversation now. Uh, but you're not talking for all of the people. Nobody can make that claim with any certainty. Uh, you may be talking uh, for what you believe is all of the people or most of the people as the case may be. But uh, you're not talking for the nuns and you haven't consulted with the nuns. Do you accept that it's quite possible that the nuns would prefer the name of the hospital to be changed so that it doesn't reflect their history with the hospital or it doesn't reflect the views of the Mother of Christ, Our Lady of Lords, in an institution that provides abortion services? 
Well, Michael, I've already made it clear to you that I haven't spoken to the nuns. If you want to get the views of the nuns, you're going to have to ask the nuns to come on to the show or make their views known to you on the show. But what I've done, as I've said, is I've set up a petition. That petition is now uh, very well subscribed. And a lot of people I spoke to over the weekend in Drogheda um, are very opposed to this. Uh, and they want the HSE to take their views on board. I mean, we've all grown up in this town. We've all uh, either mm. attended the Lady of Lords Hospital ourselves, um, or we know people who have. Um, it is a name which is, as I said, synonymous with... The yeah, it's, 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 it's synonymous with hysterectomies, isn't it? Uh, and some physiotomies, and uh, many of uh, some of uh, the most sharp practices that were put in place rather than providing sterilisation or family planning services to the women of the region because of the Catholic ethos of the nuns. There were problems in the hospital in the past and that can't be swept under the carpet and those practices were to be condemned. But of course, we also have to bear in mind the the good that the hospital did over the years. I mean, that was set up in 1957 at a time when the state really had very little interest uh, in healthcare. Um, It didn't have the money to provide uh, any substantial healthcare around the country. And it was set up by Mother Mary Martin with the donations of the Yes, and and it was the ethos of those uh, nuns that led to those problems. good quality healthcare to generations of men, women and children in Drogheda. All of uh, whom have great calls to uh, 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 grateful to the hospital and to the medical mission. You said there were a few problems. Why, you said there were a few why, problems. Some people would argue that people were terribly failed because of the Catholic ethos. That people were failed, Michael, as I said, that's not something that can be brushed under the carpet uh, and those type of practices um, are to be condemned. But as I've said, if you look at things in a balanced way, Many people have had good health outcomes in Our Lady of Lords Hospital, and they do not want the name changed. And if the name isn't changed, if the name isn't changed, and the nuns were up outside the hospital protesting about abortion services in it, what would you say to them? If the nuns were protesting about that, well, Michael, people have a right to protest. We'll obviously have to see uh, what the legislation has to say in that regard. But I'm, I'm quite. What do you sure, mean? Michael, what do you mean we have to wait to see? What do you mean we have to wait to see I'm what the legislation? Sure, Michael. I mean, just to go back to your point. No, no, no. Stay, stay, stay with the point that you abortion. stay with the point that you just made. What do you mean we have to wait to see what the legislation says in relation to that? It's to be provided. Late-term abortions to be provided in the 19 maternity hospitals in the country. Our Lady yeah. of Lords Hospital in Drogheda being one of them. Yes, of course. But there are also going to be safe zones, as you know, that the minister has proposed certain safe zones for people who do wish to protest in relation to that. Uh, won't be able to. So that's the point I'm making. Oh, okay, right. Yes, well, that that, that, that is legislation which will uh, be brought to uh, the Oireachtas sometime next year. I'm not sure it's even being drafted. But but I don't think anybody's in any doubt, Michael, that nuns uh, who are involved in the hospital probably are not going to be in favour of abortion services. But uh, that's not a surprise. Uh, The issue we're dealing with here today is a far wider issue. Mm. It's uh, about a part of the history and heritage of Drogheda being obliterated uh, by the whim of uh, the HSE. And probably, Michael, I think it might be an idea to talk to the nuns. It's probably Simon Harris who is behind this. So where is Fergus O'Dowd on this particular issue? He's been, I think, noticeably silent in relation to this. And we've heard, you know, in fairness to him, Jed Nash, who's come out, Mm, uh, and he has uh, called for the name to stay uh, the same. So I'm calling on all local politicians, whether they're Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Labour or Sinn Féin, to come out and support uh, my campaign now to uh, have the hospital's name uh, retained um, so that we don't end up with a rather bland name which has absolutely no connection with the mm, town okay. uh, or with the people And your message, uh, your, your, your message to the nuns there. is that abortions should be uh, carried out in uh, Mary Martin's hospital? Michael, I'm not here today to make any message. It's the same thing. My, my message here today is to the people of Drogheda to come out and... Oh, well, if you, if, if you want to avoid the subject, avoid the subject. Uh, Our Lady of Lords Hospital. That's fine, OK, impact. sure. If you don't want to talk and about it, that's OK. If you want okay. to talk about the nuns, Michael, or if you want to engage with the nuns, I'm sure you'll be able to get in touch with them, but I'm not here today to represent... Uh, well, it's their name, isn't it? 
It's Our Lady of Lords Hospital, Michael. That's the name of the hospital that we've yeah. all grown up with. That's the name we want to uh, see retained. All right, we leave it there. Thank you indeed. Thank for, you very much, Michael. Thank you very much indeed. Anthony Moore is a local election candidate in Drogheda for the Fianna Fáil party and brings our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.